towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door is open. So easy for us as we read passages that we are familiar with to just skip right to the end and keep on going. But I want to ask you the question, did you hear the promise? Did you hear his promise? And, and this implication that, that God is not hiding himself or his truth from you. Seek and you'll find. Have you ever really leaned into that promise? By that I mean, have you ever set your mind and your heart to say, I, I really want to pursue God? Because I know that he says, if I pursue him, I'll find him. That I seek him, he'll open the door to me. His truth isn't hidden. His presence isn't hidden from me. When was the last time you ever really leaned into that promise? When was the last time, and just be honest inside of yourself, when was the last time that you really sought after God or sought after Christ? So here's what I was thinking about as I wrote this lesson for us today. What are you chasing after? What is it that is consuming your life that you're chasing after? If I was to ask many of you to do something, a lot of folks would say, well, I'm just too busy. I've got, and, and, and we live our life in our car. We eat in the car. We go from here to here to here to here to here. And at the end of the day, we just fall down in the bed. And you ask, what have you accomplished? And people go, I didn't die. And that's about the biggest accomplishment of the day is I didn't let it consume me. What are you chasing after? What is it that you're chasing after? What is your pursuit in life? Is it promotion? Is it money? What is it you're after? What are you chasing after? I always found it interesting when I was still in youth ministry that I would ask young men, are you looking for love? And they would say yes. And I would ask young women, are you looking for love? And I would say yes. And it seems interesting to me that the boys and the girls in the youth group were looking for the same thing, but they were looking past one another. What are you chasing after? What are you pursuing in your life? Is it knowledge? Is it fame? What is it that you're chasing after? What is it that is utmost in your life that if anything else happened, you would always find time for this? Which, by the way, folks, we always find time for those things that are important to us. Always. If it's family, you'll find time for family. If it's work, you'll find time for work. And we'll neglect everything else for those things that are absolutely most important to us. I've had people argue with me on that point, but the truth of the matter is, we always find time for the things that are important to us. Always. Always. When was the last time your heart echoed the words of Paul and the words of an old song that say, I want to know Christ. I was going to sing that song for you this morning, but... I'm going to bless you and not do that. Not with this voice. We pursue so many things, don't we? Where does Christ come in in your list? I thought about having in the pews this morning my 
10 most wanted list, just a little business card. And for you to put down, what are the 10 most important things to you? Now, you're in church, so everybody would say, God. But if I was to give this to you any other place, I want you to put down the 10 things that are most important to you. Or maybe just the top three. Just the top three things that that you're going, here's my priorities. Here are the things that are important to me in my life. Where would Christ come on that list if he was on the list at all? Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ. After Lazarus was raised from the dead in the region of Bethany down around Jerusalem, it says that in John chapter 12, that there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Right now, our society is relearning football because Taylor Swift goes to football games. There's more people pursuing just a glimpse of Taylor Swift than it seems like are pursuing Christ. Where does Christ come on your list? I want to see Christ. I just want to see Christ. What's your life seeking? Are you seeking Christ? Are you seeking God? And when we use that term seeking... There's almost a mystical thing about that word, isn't there? There are the hyper-religious that have almost turned us against and turned us away from that word. Sometimes seeking after Christ seems elusive. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't have that kind of spirituality about me. I can't do that. That super spirituality that is unattainable, and I'll be honest, when I see it, it is unattractive. And it pushes me away. Because Christ was not after that super spirituality. He was after a transformed life. And they make it seem as if in order to know Christ, you have to know some secret knowledge about him. Some little thing, and and, and all of a sudden now it all... You know, seeking Christ, they make it seem like it's elusive. I have two boys. They are too old for me to play with now. I learned that when my youngest was in junior high school. And I don't know if those of you who raised boys, if you ever wrestled with your kids. We wrestled. Not, I mean, we didn't wrestle OSU Grecian wrestle. We WWF wrestled, okay? We wrestled. 
And our wrestling went this way, that we had a, a green throw rug. And the job was the two boys against me, and if they could push me off of the rug, they won. If I could push them off of the rug, I won. And if I pushed one off, he was out, and then it was just one-on-one, -on -one and the thing was over. Well, <clears throat> Trey was being nice. He was a ninth or tenth grader. Preston was a seventh or eighth grader. And I had just gotten Trey off of the rug, and I turned around just in time for Preston to be diving at me and do dove and broke my ribs. That's when I decided, we're done wrestling. We're done wrestling. But early on in our life, we used to have this game where they would run at me and they would try to grab my leg and I would, whoa, and they would fl go flying across the room. And, and sometimes it looks like that's what it is to pursue God. I begin to get him and I get close to him and then all of a sudden, whoo. It's almost like a child trying to grab onto their father's legs this pursuit of God and seeking after Christ and getting a, a deeper relationship in him and understanding this intimacy that he wants us to have with him. But the truth of the matter is, God's not trying to hide his presence, and he's not dodging from us. When we miss grabbing hold of him, it's because we've taken our eyes off of him. And we make the mistake of, I'm getting closer to Christ, I'm getting closer to Christ, I'm getting closer to Christ. I want. And all of a sudden, we start having eye trouble. I want this. I want that. I want. And we take our eyes off of him. And instead of pursuing Christ and pursuing God and that relationship with him, we begin to pursue our desires and our wants. God's never been hidden. He's never been hidden. All of the way through scripture, it's made clear that God has revealed himself for anyone who is looking for him easily to see. In the New Testament, when Paul is writing Romans, he says, Since what has been known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his eternal nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is made, so that men are without excuse. God has revealed himself, and if we're looking for him, it's not hard to find him. He's there. You saw it yesterday in the partial eclipse that we had. I love the picture that Tim Stigmuller posted of Denny and just the reflection, and you could see the, half, the crescent sun all over Denny as the shade was coming through. We poked a little hole in a piece of paper and did it on the concrete so that we could see the crescent sun. But you noticed it got darker and then brighter again. God's power is easily demonstrated. Who would have ever thought that you could take a, a black seed, put it in brown earth, give it clear water, and it puts out green leaves that will eventually turn yellow and then brown and fall. And the cycle repeats itself every year. God's power is easy to see. The fact that there is a creator and we are not the ones in charge is easy to see. And it didn't just become real in the New Testament. It's all of the way through Scripture. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, God's glory 
is on tour in the skies. This is the message translation. It says, God craft on exhibit across the horizon. Madame Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures every night, every evening. Their words aren't heard. Their voices aren't recorded, but their silence fills the earth. Unspoken everywhere. Later in the passage, he says, the revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way of joy. The directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. I love that translation of that passage. But we miss seeing God when we concentrate looking inward instead of looking upward. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. He who seeks finds. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And and would you call yourself a seeker? What are you seeking? And why is it that your relationship with God at times seems bland and plain? Why aren't you experiencing the richness of the changing of season and the connection with life? I, I believe that there's two things that keep us from being seekers of God in this world. And the first one is this. We believe we already have the answer. We think we already know. We, we've been listening and we figured things out and if they just did it our way, everything would be better. Here's something for you to take hold of. Know-it-alls often don't know they know nothing. Have you ever noticed that? And people who listen to the wisdom of this world and they figure it out and they've got rules for everybody else, they need to pay attention to what Scripture says. When it says the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sign. The foolishness of God is wiser than men's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. We need to pay attention to what the teacher says in Proverbs when he says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Folks, by listening to the the latest fad and the latest thing that's out there and the greatest wisdom that, that the world has, we block God's blessings in our life. It's not that he doesn't want to give them to us. It's that we're saying, no, I don't want to go that direction. I've got my own way figured out. And we block the blessings of God by doing things our way instead of doing things his way. We just need to stop being clever. And we need to start being obedient. The second thing that keeps us from being seekers is we become content with the level of relationship that we have with God. One of my favorite parables is the parable of the mustard seed. 
because it exemplifies what is supposed to happen in the life of a believer. The mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds in the garden. When you plant it, it starts off and is a very small little plant. But after a while, it, begin, it outgrows that little thing that you have it in and you have to put it in a bigger pot and a bigger pot and eventually you have to just plant it in the ground. And as it grows, it eventually turns into a tree that gives shade to everyone that is around it and even refuge to the critters that live in it. We hear that parable and we go, what does that have to do with me? That's what faith is, folks. Our faith starts off like a mustard seed, little bitty. And we put it in this little bitty pot that's called church. I have faith and I believe in God and I believe that he created the heavens and the earth and I believe that he created it in six days and on the seventh day he rested. I believe God made man and breathed into him that spirit of life. <coughs> and we put all of that inside of this little pot and we call it church and, and that's what I believe and I go to church every Sunday and as I become more and more righteous, I, started, I even go on Wednesday. And if I want to even get better, I'm going to go on Sunday night. But eventually, that seed begins to grow. And we, can't, we have to make a decision that we either let the plant die, we let that faith die, or we transplant it into a bigger pot. And we take that faith and we put it in a pot that's called family now. And as it begins to grow in family, it begins to transform the way that we do family. And God not only has an influence in my church life, now God begins to have an influence inside of my family life. And it changes, it changes those relationships. And, and I start talking to my kids about forgiving and about being Honest, my wife has a saying, we do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. All she has to do is start the saying and my boys finish it. You don't do the right thing because you're afraid you'll get caught. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And it begins to transform every part of that family. We even had time every night with our boys. We had our night-night prayers, but we also said, and we would read from the Bible every night as they lay in bed. And we would read one or two chapters every evening. And we began to let that faith go into our family and transform our family. So our boys knew that if the church doors were going to be open, we were going to be there. And if we were going to travel, we were going to worship. And it was just a part of our, our family time. My boys hated it, but it also meant that on Wednesday night we were going to be at church. And if that meant they had to leave practice a little early and they didn't get to start that week, they were going to have to come in the second or third quarter, that's the price we would pay because this is beginning to make a difference in our family life. After a while, your faith can't just stay in family. Now it has to be transported, planted into a bigger pot that's called my professional life. And I began to be ruled by the integrity of God. And I began to realize 
that, that when you're sitting, when you're being paid to work, if you, if you just sit there and goof off, you're actually stealing from somebody. And that integrity of Jesus Christ and, and working as working for the Lord, all of those things began to make sense and, and it went into every part of our life. And after a while, it was too big to be contained even just in the business life. It had to be translated, transplanted into my world where it's everything that I am. And no matter where you see me, my life offers shelter because it is based on Jesus Christ and on a relationship with him. When we become content with our relationship with God, I want you to know our faith doesn't stop at that point. It begins to die at that point. If you don't continue to give it more room to grow and more room to make influence, if you don't continue to move it down that scale to the point that eventually consumes your whole life and is the defining characteristic of you, if that's not the direction you're heading, then your faith is dying. James says in James chapter 4, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Later he says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Folks, in Jesus Christ, there are so many blessings. But you may be looking at your life and saying, if there's so many blessings in God, why am I not experiencing them? Why do they seem so elusive? And part of that has to do is we're looking to satisfy our life apart from Jesus Christ when the only way to find those blessings is in Christ. Seek, and you'll find, he says. Knock, and the door will be opened. He who seeks, finds. Those blessings of peace and joy and contentment and hope. We try to find them in the bottle, bottom of a bottle or in a pill or in a relationship or in promotion. And I'm going to tell you, the only place to find this kind of contentment is in Jesus Christ. Seek and you'll find. He who seeks finds. So as I end this, I want to ask you this question. What is your life seeking today? What's the direction of your life? I've done several funerals lately. Will the first thing they say about you is, he was a believer in Jesus Christ? Or will they say, he was a great sportsman? He was a faithful businessman. Those are good things. But the most important thing is, was he in Christ? All of those blessings 
The answer is found in only one place. Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you. Be a seeker. The neat thing about that word seeker, it never stops. The deeper you get in your walk with Christ, the more you discover there is to find. Be a seeker. And his blessings will overwhelm you. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to respond, we invite you as we stand and as we sing. Blessed a